If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi and welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself and let me know what brings you here? Sure. Um, I'm Michelle. Um, I am mom to three and a half year old twins. Mm -hmm. And my son James was diagnosed just over a year ago with type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were really fortunate that we have an amazing endocrinology team here. Um, So we actually left the hospital um, with the Dexcom and we got him on an insulin pump probably a month and a half into diagnosis. Um, So as a result, he just hasn't had a lot of mealtime finger sticks or injections and doesn't have any awareness of food being related to diabetes. Um, I've managed pretty much kind of behind the curtain um, Mm -hmm. since that time. Um, And so I just have questions around um, now that we're kind of have our heads above water a year into diagnosis, Mm -hmm. what I should be thinking ahead for as far as um, kind of teaching him about food um, and using the right language and kind of wanting to be aware of the relationship between food and diabetes um, and keeping it positive, but also teaching him what he needs to know. Um, And then just allowing some flexibility around food. Whereas in the past year, we've kind of been mostly, I wouldn't say low carb, but slow carb um, and how to kind of make that shift and get more flexible with that. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot to bite off. It sounds like you, Michelle, have your hands very full with twins who are three and a half, not to mention diabetes. And I'm so glad to hear that you have a good endo team, right? Yes, absolutely. That's amazing that you left the hospital with a Dexcom. So tell me, I, I actually want to back up and understand better. Like when you say you're managing behind the curtain, like what does he understand about diabetes? Yeah. So he obviously knows um, about wearing devices and mm-hmm. how we have to change them. And when his pod beeps, it's pod change day. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in the, like the last few weeks, um, I've noticed he's um, kind of aware of um, when alarms go off that he needs to eat. We call it medicine, glucose tabs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does have some awareness of that. And we do talk about diabetes. Um and, you know, his, his brother will ask why he doesn't wear a pod and we'll talk about um, because James needs insulin or um, things like that. Um, but, you know, if I go in, um, you know, I'm using a remote bolus. So um, he's not aware of when I put insulin in. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really notice um, the clicking or anything. Um, and so I, I just don't think the link between diabetes and food has really made anything in his in his brain we don't really talk about I don't I don't verbalize out loud that um, I'm gonna go put your insulin in now or anything like that Um, Mm -hmm. mostly because it's hard enough to transition toddlers to the table anyway Mm -hmm. Um, so I was kind of not to um, make it two transitions like it was when we were on injections of we stop playing we need to 
give this insulin and then, you know, play for 15 minutes and then eat. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's kind of all done without his knowledge, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And does that mean he is, it sounds like he's eating in a very regular way. Like you've got really yes. nice structure around food. Yes. We actually <laughs> coming with twins and they, you know, started home from the hospital on very strict bottle schedules and mm -hmm. we just kind of carried meal schedules through. Mm -hmm. um, so he's always been on a pretty regulated eating schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell me what your concern is, Michelle, because I want to understand like this, this is, it feels like a unique question. And yeah. I want to understand what your worry is. Yeah. I guess part of my worry is um, they're starting preschool in the fall. Um, and so I'm just aware that right now, um, kind of the foods that we're using are easier to dose for, um, easier to catch if, you know, the pre-bolus isn't quite as long as we wanted it to be. Um, and I just know that there's going to be more exposure to foods that are going to be trickier. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, in the back of my head, I have, does he need to know that, yes, you can have that treat, whatever it is, but we're going to have to wait 15 minutes for you to eat it. Um and kind of those situations that we haven't really dealt with yet. Um, so like how to talk about a pre-bolus if at all, or do you just, you know, wing it and <laughs> hope it goes okay? Um, or um, without it being kind of negative on the cupcake or whatever it is, and not to have a bad relationship with the cupcake. Mm -hmm. um, or then just... Um, you know, like candy and things like that have just been very, um, you know, maybe he's had candy like three times since diagnosis, just like a Halloween and a 4th mm -hmm. of July parade kind of one-off things. Um, so like talking about, yeah, when you eat that, you shoot up to 400 and that makes you feel yucky. Or do you talk about um, starting to help him feel or be able to talk about his symptoms um, when I don't really know what he's feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to maybe, I want to give him words to be able to say those things, but it's hard for me to know what mm -hmm. words to say. Mm -hmm. um, so th those are some of the questions around just talking about food. Um, and then, you know, eventually he'll have to learn how to do it himself. So I, I do want to be cognizant of not, um, maybe not internalizing it early enough, if that makes sense. What do you mean by that last bit? Um, not internalizing it early enough? I guess not getting in the habit of food means insulin. Like it seems oh, like it okay. might be easier if he, it's kind of all he's ever known is when I eat, I need insulin, that that would help in the future in some way. But the other part of me says, well, then that might make a bad relationship with food. So I don't really know kind of which would be the better way to play it. Mm -hmm. Wait, I just want to unpack that last part. So you're saying, um, like at some point you're going to need to let him in on the information that eating equals having to give insulin mm -hmm. and you're worried about doing that too early because it's going to make it harder for him, more burdensome for his relationship with diabetes. Is that, and with food, is that what you're imagining? Um, maybe not with the relationship with food. I guess when we were on injections, it was more of this like double transition of, you know, I need to say something about insulin or, you know, at that time it was giving a shot, which is obviously much more um, invasive. Um, and then getting him to the table. 
and and that kind of two transitions being harder to manage than right now. It's just, okay, your food's ready and I'm watching that your blood sugar's ready. Let's go eat now. Okay. I'm still, there's still something I'm missing, but let's okay. just start unpacking all of this and we'll sure. see if I, if it gets clearer for me. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting. I've never talked to a parent who, um, is grappling with this idea about letting their child know that food equals insulin. So there's a certain inevitability to that, right? right. Like there's not going to be a choice. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that you, that he doesn't know that. I think, I, I, I think we could, we could play this both ways. So I'm just thinking out loud, like he's little and at preschool, hopefully you have a great preschool team, right? So that's a Fingers question, <laughs> right? And so they might be in touch with you through the day and you might be able to say, dose him now um, and, or have a routine in place where he gets dosed in advance. So it might continue to be not transparent to him. Like it might continue to be not clear to him. Mm -hmm. um, at some point though, it feels like it's important for him to understand that. Not right. from a place of, okay, now you have to wait 15 minutes. Because what we want to think about is a three-year-old, a five-year-old, like how much impulse control do they actually have? Like next to none. So right. if you are presenting them with a situation that's particularly challenging, like somebody just hands them candy at the July 4th parade, it seems like that's a moment where you're not going to really be able to manage the pre-bolus. But the rest of his life, you probably can manage a lot of it, not all of it all the time, but a lot of it, um, at least for now. So I feel like you just say we're dosing for the food you're going to eat, right? That's an easy way to talk about it. Um, and that introduces the concept without burdening him with this idea of having to wait because um, that's going to come, but we have to make it developmentally appropriate and with impulse control and all the rest of the things like we're trying to manage it. So they know to, so, so sorry, so that the numbers turn out the way we want them to turn out. But, um, you know, at some point way down the line for you, Michelle, there's a transition that will start to happen around him making choices about his own food and his own bolusing. But that's going to be a while from now. So I feel like that particular scenario of like pre-bolusing and making him wait, the number of times that that's real for his preschool self feels really limited to me. So I wouldn't even worry about it yet. Um, I would just start maybe saying at some point, we're giving you insulin for your lunch. We're giving you insulin for your whatever, because it does seem to me that he should understand some link between these things. He doesn't yeah. have to understand yet. I'm supposed to wait, I'm, you know, all of this. So let me, let me stop there and see if I'm starting to answer some of the questions that you asked. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um... And it certainly could be, you know, a not all the time thing. Um, if it feels like it's going to interrupt some play that I don't want to necessarily interrupt and, of course. and um, of just course. slowly introduce it. Yeah. I don't see any problem with that. Like we don't talk about every meal. We don't discuss whatever it is we're trying to reinforce. Right. Right. And so I think that's totally fine. Um, but I do think you want to be thinking of introducing gradually what it is that ultimately you want him to know and need to learn. And I, I, I'm sensing some worry that you have. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure my way out through is um, about linking food and diabetes and what that will mean for him. Like there's some concern you have about it that I want to understand better. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a generalized concern just knowing the risk of eating disorders with diabetes is higher and mm-hmm. trying to be um, sensitive to that. Um, and just, I don't know, I felt like I was a much more confident parent before <laughs> diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And now like, I don't know which milestones are coming or what kids mm-hmm. might be capable of in the future. And so I just, um, I, I have this constant feeling of um, just not knowing what I should be teaching him about diabetes in addition to all of the other mm-hmm. just general parenting things that mm-hmm. at what age is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you just named two things there. One is like, what do you tell him? Like you had some good instincts about parenting before diabetes came. And I assume these twins are your only children. Yes. Yeah. So this is, you're at a terrible disadvantage, right? You really are. Because if you had an older child, you'd already understand what what normal parenting is, then you've got twins. And then one of them has diabetes. Like, I think it's a very hard, I actually have a friend who has the exact same thing. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, and, um, so you're talking about that. And you're also talking about this worry that you have this future worry that you have about relationship to food. So let's just back up and address some of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've seen on my website, there's the sweet talk snack course, mm-hmm. which I yep. recommend that you register for. Um, and you're going to get basic information about how to think about food as a parent, knowing that there is a higher risk for type one for your child. The short version is already, I can tell you're doing a really good job by having regular meals and expectations about I'm guessing family meals, like both your kids are coming to the table at the same time. You're probably with them that instills some really good behaviors about relationship to food. The tricky part for you, I think is going to be that you're just at the cusp of letting him loose into the world where there are things like goldfish, right? Yep. And cupcakes and fruit snacks. And And he is going to eat those things. And you're going to want him to eat those things, not from a diabetes place, but from a normal childhood place. It doesn't mean you're going to stock them at home. It doesn't mean you're going to feed them to him every day. Are his blood sugars going to be out of range because of them? Possibly. Are you going to take a breath about that? Yes. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. One of the hardest things about diabetes is the food. Your kid has to eat, but there's so many foods that send them high or are tricky to dose for. And at the same time, you don't want to restrict their food choices. You want them to be able to feel like every other kid. To help you navigate the many challenges of food and eating with type 1, I've created the Sweet Talk Snack Course, a free mini course that gives you six bite-sized lessons to support your T1D kid in having a healthy relationship with food and eating. Sign up for it at DiabetesSweetTalk.com. So there are a few things to know, right? One very important thing to know, well, two. One thing I talk about in the snack course is like practice. So practice on the harder foods, bring the goldfish home and see if you can figure out how to dose for them. So that when he goes to school and they serve goldfish as the snack, right? Because a lot of preschools have a snack that they provide. So you don't have control over it anymore, right? You know how to dose for it. So you might even call the preschool now and find out what their standard snacks are. Bring those things into the house and start planning. Yeah, so we'll be packing snacks. So it it will be interesting because I'm planning to send 
easier things for the teachers to dose for, but I'm not quite sure how that's going to play with seeing everyone at the snack tables, other snacks Mm -hmm. and what that might bring into our house. Or um, like you said, I I do think practicing is, you know, something I want to take a step towards. And it's unclear to me right now if I should kind of wait to see they ask for something or try Mm -hmm. to get ahead of it Mm -hmm. um you can wait to see if they ask if if that feels less anxiety provoking for you because they might not ask for a while like they might just not notice that the kids have goldfish they have what they have and they like what they like and they're not asking when they ask I would present them with it yeah and I would figure it out the other thing you should know is that the research and I I, I want to put this in context of, I never recommend unclipping your diabetes seatbelt. I'm not saying, oh, let them run high. That's fine. Not at all. What the research shows though, is that out of range blood sugars don't affect health until you hit puberty because their cell regeneration is so fast at these young ages that it doesn't really impact them. So it, I say that because when you see them spike to 300 because they ate the goldfish and you dosed not correctly this time for it, I want you to take a breath because that is not gonna impact his long-term health in any way. It actually won't when he's a teenager really either as long as you're dealing with it and bringing it down into range, right? But I, what I can hear is you have kids who've been home with you basically and you're really good at managing and you figured out how to do it in this controlled environment. And so it's scary to let him out of the box <laughs> knowing that his blood sugars are not gonna be as in range. It doesn't mean they're gonna be bad, Michelle. It just means they're not gonna be as like gorgeously perfect. And you're gonna have to deal with all the feelings of anxiety that come to all of us T1D parents because our children's numbers are not gorgeously perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think at least my rational brain knows that the long-term consequences are not really a worry. Um, you know, I think our A1C has a lot of wiggle room for goldfish crackers. Um, my worry when, when we get highs, it's, it's more of the, I don't know, my brain goes to has the pump failed is it, mm-hmm. it just, it gets really frustrating when insulin isn't working how I think it mm-hmm. should. Mm-hmm. And so I go to all of these other causes and want to, you know, do something drastic to, I'd rather catch the low than mm-hmm. <laughs> deal with staring at this high blood sugar for another hour. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's something that I need to work on before, before we mm-hmm. get there for sure. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you basically are rage bolusing, right? When because, it gets to that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you get anxious about looking at the, I don't know what counts as a high for you at the 250 at the 300 for another hour. While we all know that, especially at those higher numbers, insulin can take a while to actually do its job. Um, so it's some of this is about you tolerating some more of the discomfort about out of range numbers, right? Absolutely. Again, I'm not saying unclip your seatbelt. I'm not saying don't dose him. I'm saying rather than um, like, you're right. You can catch him on the low because he's three and a half at the same time. And I'm not saying today, Michelle, I'm saying this is something to work on at the same time. You don't want to model for him that these numbers are that distressing for you, yeah. right? Because you don't want him rage bullishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you don't want. <laughs> so you can have him thinking with you like a science experiment, like, huh, when you've been 300 for four hours, maybe it's time to change the pump. 
right? That's a reasonable thought to have, or let's try giving a shot and then we'll know if it's the pump is the problem or the insulin, right? Um, but you don't want him uh, reading off of you that level of anxiety because it's gonna make him more anxious when he's out of range on the high end. Does that yeah. make sense? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I want to address a little of, and then we can see what other questions you have is when you were talking earlier, you said, I don't want him to um, feel bad in his body if he's high. And I also don't know how he feels. I guess I was, I want him to be able to name how he's feeling. Like mm -hmm. I want him to recognize the symptoms of a high if he has them. Mm -hmm but not knowing what his symptoms actually are, not being in his body. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to, I don't know, verbalize it in a way that will help him learn what that mm -hmm. feels like. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I think that that's a pretty sophisticated task. And I think you're years away from actually okay. knowing that. The other thing is, I think it's way more important for him to know what feelings of a low are than sure. feelings of a high are. Um, also in my experience, many, if, I know a few kids who actually know what it feels like to feel high, but most of them don't. Okay. Interesting. So um, I, I feel like there's a lot of information about like how it feels so yucky to feel high. I sometimes a few kids, but most of them, it just doesn't even register. Okay. Cause sometimes, I mean, I can, I feel like I can notice him yes. acting differently, but mm -hmm. you, internally you're saying most people don't feel it. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, well, I don't know. That's my experience. My end of whatever that is. Certainly sure. my daughter, when she was his age, she was diagnosed at four. So a little older, mm -hmm. if she was high, we would say in the house, she is mean as a snake. She just <laughs> got really nasty, but that doesn't happen anymore. And she only experiences highs as thirsty, which could be so many things that it doesn't actually register for her as discomfort. Hmm. Right. Um, so I think it depends on your kid. Yeah. And, um, and I think what you want to do at some point, not anywhere near to now, I'm trying to think of the age and I can't easily pull that up. I think it depends on your child, but at some point when he's below 80, you want to say, what are you noticing in your body? Right. So that you can help understand, like you, he might have visible symptoms, right? He might look incredibly pale. He might be sweaty, right? You can notice those things. You can name that to him. Oh, interesting. When you're under 80, you get really sweaty. You know, are you hot? Right? So you can mm -hmm. ask and help to reinforce the feeling. So he'll start to know, oh, when I'm super hot and sweaty and clammy in this way, or my legs are shaky in this way, it means I'm low, go get a glucose tab. Mm -hmm. Right? But that's how you're going to hook that up for him. And at some point you're also going to say, oh, I see you're 250. Do you notice anything in your body? What does it feel like? Right. That's how you're going to start to help him hook that up. Yeah. More questioning when he already has the vocabulary rather than trying to prime the vocabulary, I guess. Well. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think you could notice some symptoms, right? Like, um, but I have to say most adult type ones I have worked with really resent their parents for having said to them, oh, you're high. And that means you're mean, mm. right? Like, so we, you know, me joking with my family about my daughter being mean as a snake was probably not my best move, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I worked with that adult study after she was little <laughs> and mean as a snake. So like, you know, kids, adults who have reported back to me don't like it when their parents have said, oh, you're high. Oh, you're mean. You must be high. Oh, you're yeah. this, you, it must mean this. Like that kind of takes away some of their um, agency. agency. Yeah. yeah. 
And we don't want to do that. So we want to sure. hook it up for them. Or, sorry, we don't want to hook it up for them. We want them to hook it up for us. Would okay. you say that that's only with kind of emotional or internal symptoms rather than physical symptoms would maybe not be as bad to point out or? Well, physical symptoms you can see. Right. right. Like there are physical symptoms that you can't see, like brain fog with a low or shaky legs sure. with a low or nausea with a high, like that, mm -hmm. that those could be the case. So if you see pale and sweaty, I'm thinking lows here, because right. highs to me don't present as much uh, physically or visibly. Um, sure. I might say, I see you're pale and sweaty. Let's check your, your Dexcom and see, oh, you are, you know, 69. Let's give you a glucose tab. Like, again, it's pretty neutral. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm deliberately keeping it neutral. We all know that in the moment it doesn't always come out sounding neutral. Right? Yeah. Um, but, but that's the goal, right. Yeah. Is to just help them hook it up without it being a big emotional piece so that they are neutral about it and can learn to just take care of business. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Again, that's a fantasy world. There's always emotion. <laughs> I know I've already, already caught myself because little glucometer turns green and red and yellow and it's very uh -huh. hard to stay neutral. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. But that sounds like that's your task, right? Is to work on staying more neutral so that you are modeling that for him, that these are just numbers that we respond to these numbers. This is just food. We eat the food. Sometimes the food makes us out of range. You notice I didn't say hi. Mm -hmm. um, it makes us out of range. And so we're going to eat it again tomorrow so we can figure out how to be in range with goldfish or cookies or whatever. We're going to try this every Thursday so that we can get it just right. Yeah. Right. How's that all, how's that all land for you, Michelle? Yeah, I think, I think that um, that's good to think through um, kind of where my brain's ahead of way too far ahead of milestones and um, mm -hmm. kind of where we should be focusing and, and that might, that'll make sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'm thinking, and they're little and, you know, you've got a lot on your plate. I do think that family camp and, or JDRF walks and, or anything where he can be around other kids with diabetes, because that also will clue him into what's happening. Yeah, we have, we have a really great play date actually locally. Um, there's just a few kids um, around his age um, with type one, which has been super helpful. And it's funny because I think some other moms have the exact opposite problem of me that their kid hears the clicking and wants to eat right away. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so they're very uh, much into the the pump and the food connection. So uh, it's interesting how that's played out. But mm -hmm. That's so wonderful that you have that though for him. Yeah, that's good. Um, have I answered all your questions, Michelle? If you have any thoughts, um, I kind of, on the trickier side of food, kind of where you draw the line between food restrictions and food limits um, mm -hmm. and what's going to serve me well for the long run, limits that can actually be enforced, um, but mm -hmm. will also keep the household sane. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Um, I love that question because I think that all parents have some food limits. Um, and what I would encourage you to do, and I know this is next to impossible, that's okay, is to think like if you didn't have a type one kid, what would the food limits be? Yeah. Right? So you might only have a sweet dessert once a week, or you might not at all at this point. I know that when my son was your, my oldest child was your children's age, we didn't have any sweets in the house. It only came later. Mm -hmm. And I could do that certainly for my daughter, my third child. 
she had chocolate. I can't even tell you how early. So, um, right, because it's different, but you have that privilege of keeping it out. And if you want to do that, I think you're fine. Like, it's totally fine. Um, I do think at some point, like when sweets become something they're aware of to have it in the house. So, or, or you go out for an ice cream cone, right? So that it's like, not only, um, I wouldn't make it only special occasion food. So you're not going out for an ice cream cone just because it's someone's birthday or July 4th, but you're going out for an ice cream cone because it's a Tuesday. And occasionally on Tuesdays we go and get dessert someplace. Right. right? Or just with other people outside the family kind of thing. Wait, say that again. So it's not just with other. So it's not just a one we're with other people sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. So your family introduces some normalcy around these trickier foods. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that, I would treat it the same way I would treat food limitations without diabetes, right? And you're in, like, again, you, this isn't the fourth child and you already have all this junk food in the house and you're trying to figure out how to navigate it. You can control it for longer and there's no problem with doing it. I just think the goal is to have your children have as normal relationship to all foods, which doesn't mean you're bringing Cheetos into the house. But if Cheetos are an appropriate thing to eat at some point because you're on a picnic and there's a little bag of Cheetos that goes with the sandwiches that are being handed out that you that they have Cheetos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the thing I see most with parents with kids with type one is the instinct and uh, and move to really limit carbs overall or to get very low carb food. And again, you kind of can get away with that for a little bit if that's what, you know, because you said you've sort of switched to a slow carb diet, which I don't know exactly what that means, but it probably means you're not serving pizza, although those are very slow carbs. Um, Right. But, and that's okay. Right. To me, that's okay. You, you are not, nobody's feeling deprived and you're going to introduce these things more slowly because you can. Again, if you had a teenage kid in the house, you couldn't do that. And I would not recommend it then. Um, but, but you can, right. Because you're not setting up a negative relationship with them. If you keep restricting them forever (laughs) and they go to a birthday party and they have pizza and they want pizza and you never have pizza, even though they're asking for it, that would be a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for me, finding the balance between practicing with those foods at home in a controlled environment versus, Mm -hmm. um, having it when it's introduced is going to be tough. Yeah. For the next couple of years. Um, then yeah, I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do it. You're, but... you're going to expect out of range numbers yeah. and you're going to have to work yourself on, um, like breathing through that. I used to actually have a meditation for highs. I don't know where that is on my website anymore, but I probably could find it and offer it to you. Um, because you want to recognize that it's okay. It's going to come down right? Like you'll figure out how to dose for this better later. Maybe you're taking notes, like physical notes, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not giving them, but also like every pizza parlor has something different, right? So it can be really tricky that you're, you're going to learn it and figure it out and do your best. And if he's high sometimes because of the pizza, you're going to learn it and figure it out and breathe through it. Yeah. The agreeing is the easy part. The doing it is the hard part. (laughs) Yeah. What comes up? I don't know. It's just, I know that it just feels like the next big step of you know, we've, we've figured out, you know, this rotation of things that work for our family for this past year. And, um, I don't know, it feels a little bit like starting over. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that makes sense, Michelle. I think in a way, 
it kind of is. And it's not, you're starting over from a place that you have so much more knowledge. You know how to get the information better, right? You have Mm -hmm. some community, you know what the questions are you need to ask. And this is what diabetes is always, right? It always presents the next sort of developmental challenge. And, um, and you've been lucky that you've been able to spend a year. I mean, I feel like this is what happened for a lot of families in COVID, right? Is they just had a new diagnosis and their kid was home. And then suddenly much later, they had to finally release them. And it's, it's a big transition. I want to just validate how big it is for you. It is big and you will be able to do it. And it sounds like you're very sensible and you have good ideas about food and relationship to food. So I'm not super concerned. It's just going to be you tolerating some of the discomfort of things not being fully in your control. (laughs) Yes. Any um, suggestions about specific language that you have around foods of like a high carb versus a low, is there, did you talk to your kids at all at any age about um, kind of an easier food to dose for versus a tricky food to dose for? What, what kind of language did you use around that? Or how did you talk about those things to teach them what they might need to do? That's a really good question. What I did, I'm not always a hundred percent sure that would be what I would recommend. Honestly, um, I'm thinking about a time when my son, now this is so far away from where you are when my son was in high school and he would go out for dinner, he would eat a hamburger fries and a milkshake and he wasn't on a CGM. And so I would be like, could you not? Because I knew that I would be up multiple times in the night doing finger sticks with that. So it feels right. a little different. Um, but I think, I think, you know, ultimately it's about finding language about how you're dosing for it, right? Like making it into the science experiment. Like, oh, last time we had pizza, we did an extended bolus for half of it. And you ended up high for three hours. So maybe we need to extend it longer. Or we need to dose again in an hour and see how that works. Like I would just make it a science experiment. Yeah. So not about the food at all, really no. just, yeah. No, just like uh, this food happens to do these things. We right. know that. So we're going to figure it out. And at three, I wouldn't be doing that oh, at all. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe at seven, right. You know, as he starts expressing interest and understanding um, and, you know, noticing what you're doing, mm-hmm. that's when you can start talking about it. Probably a little younger than seven, six, five, you know, depending okay. on your kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I was thinking kind of when you told the French fry story, um, limits around like timing of eating. Do you, do you see any concerns with that? Like we're not going to have desserts or sweet foods past seven o'clock or, you know, like the late night eating, I can Mm -hmm. see becoming Mm -hmm. like a problem in the future Mm -hmm. or what, or I guess do structured meal times just kind of take care of that. I think structured meal times kind of take care of that. Right. I think it's reasonable for the kitchen to be closed at a certain time. Also, your kids are so young, you are not going to be facing this for a while. Right. Right. So you're not realistically looking at this with these being your oldest children, right. And only children. I don't know if you'll plan to have more. You're probably so tapped out. Um, (laughs) Right. But given that these are your oldest children, you are literally not going to even be looking at anything approximating this till high school. Because there's no one setting an example of staying up late eating food. So it's just the kitchen is closed after dinner and that's it. 
that's totally fine. That's a, that's actually a pretty healthy eating behavior. And so that's fine. You're going to be in places in the world where there's late night hot chocolate. And yes, you're going to have a rough night that night. And at some, at some point your kids are going to be high schoolers. And honestly, they're going to go to bed after you and you're not always going to know what they eat, but that's so far down the road. I feel like call me back in 10 years, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not worth planning for yet. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate. Yeah. Being able to think short-term and long-term has been challenging. So it's, it's nice to talk it out and um, really get an idea of what's, what's coming. Yeah. It's been helpful. Yeah. I think, I think the other piece, I, I was talking to a family once who felt it's very different issues, but it felt a little similar in that they had a very young child and they're like, what do we do to prevent all these bad things that could happen? And I was a little startled because I feel like what you really need to do is look at the person in front of you. Mm-hmm right? You know your son, I'm sure of it. And you're going to watch and see how he develops and what he notices, right? Like, for example, you know that he doesn't hear the clicking of the Omnipod and associate with food the way these other kids do, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't have that Pavlovian response, like, oh, clicking equals lunch, right? Yeah, but to the Dexcom alarm, then he does. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, exactly. So you know him, And he is going to change and he is essentially going to lead you to all the places you need to be. When he starts being curious about wanting to enter the information into his own pump, for example, he's, that's one way it could go. It could go many ways. You're going to say, it's this many carbs, enter the number 31 and he's going to push in 31. And at some point he'll be like, how do we get to that? How did you count that? I want to count that. Right. I, I mean, there are many pathways that could lead to there, but you know, he is going to show you. And if you are around other children with diabetes, he's going to see them and that's going to help him to be curious. So what you really want to do is just be responsive with, with the idea that it is appropriate to gradually transfer knowledge and responsibility over the 15 years that you have him still at home, right? So Mm -hmm. this is not an all at once task at all. And you have a number of years before I think you ever need to start thinking about any of this, honestly. That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of time. So I can hear your worry, like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to get him here. Like he has to be able to do all these things. There's a lot of that you can put off, right? He's going to show you. And if he's not, then you need to be at camp, right? right? If he's not, then you need to be around more people. So he sees what it is he's supposed to do and starts being curious about. It. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Great. And thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Good. I appreciate you being here. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.